Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 259. I'm joined on this episode by the product and brand development lead at Football Fitness Federation, Jordan Tyra. Jordan came on and we reflected on the previous episode with Dr. Sean Cumming. There was lots to take away from the episode and we had some great messages, people reaching out saying how much they enjoyed it and that the information had helped them reach out to their club regarding biobanding and some of the importance of understanding growth and maturation with their players. So that was great to hear. So we reflected on that. We talked about some of our takeaways and um, I got some of Jordan's as well. Then we talked about biobanding in the women's game because it was something that we, we mentioned in the episode with Sean. But I got Jordan's thoughts on that, how that would work, maybe possibly some of the challenges that would come up from that as well. And then we also talked about developing the football athlete of the future. So we went at this in a few different directions, how much the game has come on already, and some of our thoughts around what we are going to be preparing for over the next few years. And the reason behind this is because... We are, as we recorded the podcast, we're just a few days before the Training Ground Guru Conference in Manchester at the Hilton Hotel. And I'm actually going to be chairing a discussion between Tony Strudwick, Tom Little and Dave Carolan on this very topic. So I'm really excited to hear the thoughts of the guys, what they come up with. We are going to be on day two of the conference. If you're already booked, we are at 20 to 4 um on day two on the tuesday so if anyone's at the training ground guru conference it'll be great to hear you um to, to see you even and um come and say hello because i'm sure there'll be plenty of coaches there and it'd be great to catch up so we discussed a little bit around this topic um and that that wrapped up the the podcast so i hope you enjoyed this episode with jordan just on the Training Ground Guru Conference, I know the, the team have put out recently that there are only a, a small handful of tickets available. Um, so if you are keen on coming to the event, make sure you go to just search them, uh, search Training Ground Guru over on Twitter and the pinned post will take you to an Eventbrite link to get tickets for the event. So if you haven't got your tickets yet, go and check them out, but act fast because I know there is only a few tickets remaining. Talking of events, we are going to be confirming the next set of football fitness networking events very soon. We're just in discussions with a few places and speakers. As soon as we've got the details on those, we will be confirming those very soon. Um, Just a little sneak peek, we're going to be down on the south coast. We're going to be um, in London and we're also going to be in the Midlands for the next few events. So just keep your eyes peeled for all the details. They will be coming very soon over on our socials, and I will announce it on the podcast too. Just before we get into the episode, I want to say a massive thank you to our sponsors, The Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule, The Good Prep works closely with elite level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton & Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance. You can achieve every goal you set. Plus, you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. Also, a huge thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sport teams and athletes, Hydra is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure-validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe, and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hydra has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com or email teamsales at hytro.com 
to find out how Hydro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. And also a huge thank you to Rezzle doing some brilliant work in the world of VR. Make sure you go and check them out over on socials at Rezzle. And let's get into episode 259 with the product and brand development lead at Football Fitness Federation, Jordan Tyra. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. Harder, stronger, smarter. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 259. I'm so confused today. I'm joined by, is it my co-host? Is it Jess? <laughs> I, just, I, can't, I can't work it out. Jordan Tyra is back. Back. Back for another yeah episode or co-hosting of the own episode. I don't know how it works, yeah. <laughs> so we did have a few guests lined up this week. It's not quite gone to plan, but... What we've decided to do is get Jordan on and we're going to talk through, we've got a few topics we're going to talk about and we're, a lot of our conversations, they do spiral into something that turns into some sort of quality somewhere down the line, don't they? So let's just see how it goes. Hope so. Yeah, hopefully. Mate, how are things? How are things going down there? You've got the, um, the can we can we talk about the, the, the project? Yeah. yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah, the Physical Performance Hub. Yeah. Um, Nearly there, nearly up and running, opening end of this month, end of October. Um, so the physical performance coach has been going since 2020, um, but along with a bit of a team, so some of my colleagues um, or previous colleagues from AFC Bournemouth um, and other people in the area who have been recommended and know, uh, we've started a, basically a, a sort of private sports science and medicine department um, to try and help athletes. Because as we know, you know, top level performance support, it's, it's found in the top clubs and the elite clubs. Um, but if you're a semi-pro athlete or a non-professional athlete or even a professional athlete that just hasn't got you know, the resources at their club, um, they don't get that level of performance support. So we're there trying to bridge that gap. So we've got myself, two other S&C coaches, um, performance psychologists and sports therapists as well. So basically, yeah, like I say, like a, trying to give that kind of private sports science and medicine department that you'd find at a Premier League or, you know, top top level club to... Clients in Southampton, Dorset, Bournemouth, Hampshire, all down here on the South Coast, basically. So, um, yeah, it's it's looking exciting. Really cool facility, brand new facility that's kind of getting set up as we speak. So uh, it's keeping me busy, put it that way. A um, few, few more grey hairs suddenly starting to appear and a few more wrinkles on the forehead. But, yeah, it's going to be a really exciting project when it all kicks off. That's class. I'm excited to come down and visit when you when you get open. Just give an idea, because I know you've mentioned some of the areas there. Just tell people exactly where it is, John. Because if there's anyone listening that's in that area and they're wondering exactly where it is, go and give the, yeah, so give the address. It's called Three-Legged Cross area. It's like a, a little villagey town area, but it's um yeah, Westcroft Business Park in three three-legged cross, uh, just outside Wimborne, just kind of north of Bournemouth, just outside. Ringwood, just off the A31, if anyone knows it down here. Um, really easy to get to and just pull off the motorway basically and, and there you are. So um yeah, it, it's it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Awesome, mate. Well, I thought we'd start this with some reflections on last week, which uh, the podcast had gone down pretty well. And I appreciate you coming on for your debut as co-host, which got voted you got voted very highly, I've got to say. People are pretty um that. Pretty kind to you. I was expecting a bit of backlash and complaints, <laughs> but no, people were kind. But no, Sean Cumming was on in the previous episode. And obviously, a lot of the things we spoke about, I actually had some private messages from people saying um, they loved the episode. It's something that they are trying or have tried to implement at the clubs. Um, so I hope it gives people a bit of a resource or maybe something to reach out to, to give examples of how it actually works at clubs like I know you've experienced. I know, did you get any feedback on it? Yeah, I had a few people, uh, actually a few of my colleagues from, or previous colleagues from Bournemouth, you know, got in touch as well and, and you know, said it was really, really down to earth and good. I think the best thing, you know, I've seen Sean present a few times um, and every time you come away with with something, even if you think you're relatively clued up on, 
you know, growth maturation testing, monitoring and tracking, as well as buyer banding. Um, you know, I'm definitely no expert in it, but, you know, Sean is. So you, you hear him speak on the matter. And that's why I was so keen to to ask him his thoughts on the future um, because it just sheds light on it. And I think that's the, like you said, people reach out because they want to shed more light on it. And I think that's the beauty of the podcast and kind of the whole reason, you know, this company was started in the first place to try and shed more light on important topics that affect, you know, academy footballers or, and hopefully in the long run, you know, first team footballers. So, um, yeah, I think as we touched on in the in the podcast, um, if you're at a club that, you know, is trying to integrate it, like I know, you, you know, you had the messages about that. It's tough because, as we know, changing people's perceptions of what's already in place, certainly in the men's game, from you know, from my experience, the women's games typically a little bit more open to change because it's it's a newer, more evolving um, setting. Whereas my experiences in the men's game have been, yeah, you you have got to you know plug away at something before it starts to starts to land. And yeah, I, I felt that in in previous clubs, um, cat three clubs, where again budgets are tight and it's all just all about getting players through to to the first team for academies and it is you know the long-term kind of viewpoint on things isn't always there so that can be a bit more of a challenge and I think that's what people will face people will face those challenges um, like I said in the podcast though just again from my experience if you can look at it and approach it from a player development point of view rather than this is a cool glitz and glam sports science thing that you know it's our own kind of rhetoric that we're trying to push then you're always going to get pushed back if you do it that way. But if you can come along and say, well, we can either keep players, we reckon we can keep players in the system if we can be a bit more patient and we can challenge our, say, early maturers a bit better, um, which will improve their player development. And then you can go down all the other routes of, you know, if we can track when players are growing fast, we're going to be better prepared at, you know, dealing with any injuries that might crop up. Because if we know they're in, you know, what we call red zone or, you know, their major growth spurt, had less than growth by those, then you know we know they're more susceptible to injury, so we can try and put interventions in place and try and monitor their loading and watch their loading. So it, it just makes more sense from from that point of view. But again, it's how you tactfully do that because if you have got to convince the big bosses, you know, heads of academy, even if it's directors of sport, if it's whoever to to change processes, then yeah, it, it it's always going to be a, a difficult thing to do. Um, but again, Sean Sean made it very very clear the benefits of it, and you just need to look at the examples of um, other countries like the Belgium example, you know, and, and why European countries with a far you know smaller population than us, um, without you know the academy setup that we have in this country, and you think of the academy, you know, sports scientists in this country and how many we have here versus how many might be in a country like Belgium or you know Sweden or Denmark, like he was mentioning, and you're thinking how. Have, something's not quite adding up there like he was mentioning so yeah um i think you know if it's a resource that you want to implement in your club like sean said reach out to people like sean people like david johnson people like ben bradley you know people like des ryan people you know at arsenal southampton man united literally i think man united this week uh, I, th- I think you put the tweet out didn't you that man united have just gone into a, a buyer banding block this week so you know it it, it is happening it is happening um but in my opinion, too few and far between. So if you are one of those people who wants to bring it in, speak to those clubs which are doing it. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be interesting to, because obviously there's just so much stuff we took away from the episode last week, but I'd be keen to get maybe one of your main takeaways in a second, because I mentioned it on the end of the podcast that a couple of things really stood out for me from what Sean and, and yourself were saying. And one of them was, because I, I think a lot of it comes when coaches are fighting that battle to get something in place. You need a strong rationale and you also need strong evidence of it working. And all these clubs, like you've mentioned, you're kind of getting a bit of a portfolio together to say, look at Arsenal, look at this club, look at that club. These are all clubs that are having success in doing it. And I think that's only going to develop, isn't it? But a couple of the things that really stood out for me was that the impact it has on both early and late maturers. Because I think sometimes with biobanding, and this is me speaking who's not been in an academy for a number of years, but maybe some coaches are leaning towards, well, it's only really, we're only putting it in place for like the late maturers. Mm. But the Sean underlined that, didn't he? And said, no, it's, it's actually, and we talked about it, it's benefiting both because these are facing this type of challenge and these are take, facing this type of challenge. So I thought that was a really interesting 
um, takeaway from it initially. Yeah, and and actually it goes further than that as well because you're on time, maturers. If you split the bands and you suddenly take all the the you know higher percentage out of height or what we class as maybe the early maturing players out of a out of a, an age group or a cohort uh, and put them into their you know peers of of biological age, then the on time maturers all of a sudden are going to stand out a bit more because they're not competing with people who are physically more developed uh, yeah. and somebody who might be kind of middle of the pack suddenly becomes more towards the top of the pack so it, it it like you say i think originally it was just the conception was that it was or the perception was all about um yeah we're just looking after the late maturers because they you know they're at a disadvantage in this and that and the other but actually when you dig a little deeper and scratch beneath the surface you find it's actually benefiting you know all the players in different ways and the example i gave it was clear as day um he's an under 13 player and and within his chronological age group he was banging goals in for fun against bigger teams than than Bournemouth as well and you know you kind of think him blooming heck this kid is is something you know biologically he was one of the most if not the most mature in that age group I think um, and when he all of a sudden he came up against people bigger than him uh, physically and similar to him it was a completely different challenge for him and he thrived off it. He loved it. You know, some players didn't. You know, there, there was, it's not always going to be 100% across the board that every player loves it because some players who, you know, might be absolutely bossing their age group because biologically they're miles ahead and matured than the rest of their age group, they might enjoy that success week in, week out, feeling like the, you know, the main, the main person on the pitch. All of a sudden you throw them into an environment where it's actually a bit more difficult. Um, and they might go, well, I'm not scoring goals anymore, or I'm actually finding it harder. I'm getting, you know, tackled. I can't just run through an entire team and, and smash it past the keeper. So it comes down to, like Sean kept saying, it's the education side of it um, and the, the workshops with parents and players. So we, like I said on, on the podcast, we we sent out questionnaires, but also we sent out um, every single time we did a buyer banding block. We sent, we, I did a growth and maturation presentation and, don't get me wrong, it, there was so much in place before I joined Bournemouth as well. Like DJ and Ben Bradley and previous, you know, sports scientists have done all that sort of stuff as well. Um, but just whilst I was there, we just refreshed it each each time kind of thing. Um, and every single bioblinding block, we sent out the growth and maturation webinar that we did with them just to keep them refreshed. Um, this is why, this is why, this is why. And it's just that dripping tap effect that eventually players did start to start to really kind of see the benefits and realize why we did it there's always a couple there's always the odd few that were like no i don't like this not not sure um typically when you actually spoke to them and found out a bit more and scratched beneath the surface you found they're a bit more old school stuck in their ways and said oh this isn't how it was done back in the day or you know wasn't done in my day like this and it, it it's just about evolving in my opinion yeah. and that's the future of academy football you've got to evolve you know that we know that the levels of the premier league and all the top leagues in, in Europe are improving every single season. You know, speeds, distances, everything like that just keep on getting higher. Um, I don't know when that ceiling will be hit, if it ever will be, or if it, you know, we continue to improve human performance. So if our academies aren't evolving, we're probably going to push through less and less players, and and, and that's a problem. Um, so for me, academy football's got to evolve, and as have perceptions on bioabandon as well, like you say. Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting. We're going to talk about that a little bit about sort of the future where the game's going to go. Essentially, we're preparing for a different game now, aren't we? So mm. when people have got that perspective of it's not how we did it, well, that's fine, but we're not really preparing for the same demands and and game and even even fixtures and all the sort of stresses that come at a first team level that we not it's not the same now. Um, no. One of the other things that I mentioned on the podcast and that we talked about it within. And I think this could be disregarded, but I think it's so important is that language. You know, we spoke about playing up, playing down, playing across yeah. age groups. I think that when you start getting that into your into your language that you're using with players, with parents, that's really powerful, isn't it? Because you're suddenly getting, again, it's fighting. Nobody likes change, do they? Everyone is resistant to change to a certain point. So if you start trying to change the, the age group that a player is playing in, especially if they're going down an age group as yeah like the, it, it can be seen in a certain way playing across age groups when Sean mentioned that I was like actually that's really powerful for for pa I, parents came into my head first to be honest yeah um because the way they perceive that and and see that could be very different 
Yeah, that and it's something I've seen firsthand because you know Bournemouth were doing that in terms of the language and trying to say a play across. Certainly in the FP, you know, under nines to under elevens, even twelves, and potentially even thirteens and fourteens, because we know the effect of, of growth and maturation. It it's just it's just trying to change, like you say, the mindset. Um, players again, the players who resisted by abandoning, um, or the players who didn't enjoy it, were the ones who psychologically again thought they were playing down, or they thought they'd been punished by playing down in inverted commas, you know. And it was again trying to explain to them, no, we're matching you with who you know is more similar to you right now. So it's not you're not playing down; you're just playing with people who are more similar to you, playing across the age groups, like Sean was saying. And I think. You know, there's the famous Dutch model where they, you know, they don't really put players in positions. You know, there's there's even, um, I think it's Man United and Chelsea. I think Man United speak about it, didn't they, when they just said they just basically played street football, you know, as an arrival mm-hmm. activity. And it was just like all the age groups kind of in the youngest academy age groups were just mixed in, um, you know. And and unfortunately, that is the reality. Um, you know, when you go to open age football and you, you, you come into the men's game, it doesn't matter what age you are, you've got to be physically ready. So you might have a slightly later underdeveloped, you know, under 21, who's technically outstanding playing with, you know, a 32 year old pro who's, who is solid as a, as a rock at the back in a big, big unit. And they've got to try and compete. So um, it is one of those things where if you can just get players from as early as on to, to kind of be happy with moving across age groups, it's really, it's really important. And the players, buy into it the parents is, is the big one like you say parents can 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 throw the toys up pram sometimes which is quite uh, annoying but um if you start with the fp it's so easy and the best way is training nights just not even when you're not by banded even if you're just doing normal training it's just nines and tens mixed in everyone's just playing around and you can throw the 11s in there you know and it, it just becomes so fluid that the actual structure of it you know it, it you almost forget about it sometimes and you look over the, the pitch and it's like Oh, the nines and tens are down there. I couldn't tell you which which age group is from a glance. You know? And I think that's a better training environment, um, in my opinion, than you know, right, under nines you're over there, under tens you're over there, under elevens you're over there, you know, and you'd never, never mix in. So um, yeah, language and just the perception is a big, big thing. I think when you were saying that then as well about um like people getting their backs up on seeing it as a punishment essentially by playing yeah. down. I think it just remind like reminded me of how some players would treat physical work away like off pitch, like in the gym. Yeah. It's definitely something I experienced a fair few years ago. Like when you get players in the gym because you knew that they needed to work on whatever it was, sometimes that'll be seen as a punishment or being taken away from the team environment. Whereas now I think with the education and everything and the experiences that players have had, they understand and they probably chase it more than anything now, don't they, that they want to do this work. And it, I think it will probably go in the same sort of direction as that, that players will start to accept it a lot more when there's more examples of more co- more clubs and coaches using it. Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest step we'll see is when... Um, clubs can kind of fully buy into it and value it. And some clubs do this where they'll say, rather than having, you know, a full training session as with the rest of the squad, we'll take you out for extra time to, to work physically. If it's in the gym or if it's on the pitch, you know, say somebody is going through adolescent awkwardness and, and rapid growth and the limbs are all over the place. They keep kicking the floor before they keep the ball and all that sort of stuff. The classic signs of adolescent awkwardness. Um, we're going to take, 20 minutes of your technical session and we're just going to do like lots of proprioception work just trying to retrain your body like the the length of its limbs and just try and help you that's that's when you're going into a whole uncharted territory of like this is pure individualized development now um the, I think the difficulty is there's within football clubs as we all know there are departments pulling for their own priorities you know sports science and medicine and the snc and physical performance department are always going to be trying to get more time to work with players but the technical coaches will always want more time to do extras or you know technical work and tactical work and performance analysis might even want you know we want to do sit down classroom sessions so balancing the time is really really difficult and it's it's how you how you challenge players um but at the same time how you can challenge your coaches and your cohort around you to say i know he needs a bit more tactical work 
but right now this is what's going on with him and actually he could prioritize some gym work um you know if it is to you know if it's somebody going through adolescent awkwardness to try and retrain the body and the mind if it is somebody who's kind of through the growth spurt um and technically outstanding and kind of playing up an age group let's call it that for for now um but physically they need to they need to try and put some mass on or try and increase their you know their size and strength power etc to match the age groups they might be playing with um so that they actually have a fair chance you know because as we we've seen that uh, I've seen that many times with the the good early maturers who when they're kind of let's say ballpark figure 11 12 13 years old they'll play up because it's a classic case of our oh, physically they're, they're ready to play up an age group they're ready to play up an age group because they're early maturers then players just start to catch them up and then when they go back to playing in their normal chronological age group again it's that case of some coaches that oh well he's, he's not playing up anymore is he so he's not doing as well or the, the parents going why isn't he playing up anymore or you know the, even the players starting saying well why am, I, why am I back with my actual age group you know and it's it's then the balance of the clubs for A, the language, but B, the how you're going to train those players and try and either keep them pushing on or do you just take a bit of time out from one aspect and put another aspect in, in terms of their training and how their training week looks. But um, that will be the the real future for me in terms of academy when, you know, people's weeks look completely different. And there are some clubs doing this already, by the way. So um, as far as I'm aware, you know, when it's not just right, you've got one squad, out you go to training or you go to the gym and then you go this way and it might look completely different for, you know, three or four individuals in that squad. That's that's how I think it should be, personally. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if you've seen it, but I, I was literally on Twitter this morning, X this morning. Sorry, and X, yeah. Um, yeah, there was, I think it's in the, in the States, there was a... I want to say 13, but it might be 14-year-old making a first-team appearance. Um, and I don't know any other context to that. I literally yeah. saw the video of them getting substituted on. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it? Like, is that part of a, a long-term plan? Has this sort of stuff mm. been considered within that? Or are they just super talented and they, they need them in that yeah. environment to help the team? You just don't know, do you? And I, I don't know yeah. any context to it. Um, but no, it was, it was interesting to see. What was your big takeaways? Because obviously this is an area that you've worked with a lot recently with the role at Bournemouth. And I know you've you've come across Sean before, you've um had conversations and all the rest of it. So I'm intrigued to hear what what you took away from it. Um I think my biggest takeaway is just how um how level heady is with this, because I'm really passionate about it and, and you know, I was trying to probe and be like, "What do you think the future is?" You know, what 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 do you think clubs need to do? You know, and I and I kind of wanted him to go. Every club needs to be doing this. You know, it needs to be the Premier League when it comes to E Triple P and category status and you know audits and stuff. Every club should have you know some sort of buyer banding within their system and within their program. Um, you know, but he he was level headed and, and, and rational <laughs> enough to say. Don't force it upon the clubs if they don't want to do it, which is completely, you know, completely right if you if you actually think about it. But um he's he's just got a lot of a lot of knowledge on this topic. Um and I think if if more people can tap into that, it will it will get out there in terms of the benefits of it. Um but also the, the, the when he was talking about other sports and how they're not uptaking this, you know, certainly when you think about rugby i mean rugby i know they're doing weight classes but this just makes so much sense for rugby doesn't it and yeah. you know and I, I you could see it's a little bit of frustration and um you know maybe when you say surely this is going to be you know taken up in rugby it makes more sense to be in that sport really so um i think there's so much to take away from it but if we if we can hopefully get the word out i mean there's a lot of clubs already doing some, some excellent work like i keep mentioning um but it might take it might take you know some sort of um, country wide you know club wide education pathway for sports scientists or, or even coaches. And I know that Sean does speak on some of the coaching um, qualifications and things like this, um, but he's still met with resistance, you know, and and some coaches who have never really come across it before. And I've been met with resistance by coaches who have never come across this before. Um, and that is just that just comes down to education and actually seeing this all in action. So um, that was my biggest takeaway. Really, is that as he was very very kind of complimentary of how 
the Premier League and practitioners in this country are really trying to push this and we're we're really starting to be at the forefront of this. Um, but at the same time, there's still a long, long way to go. Um, so, yeah, we, it, it's a really interesting topic. I could speak for hours on it, as you know, but um, I think the people who do do this really well, you know, that there's a reason why those clubs do well in terms of their academies and their academy players are in the system. I, I'm really fortunate that you know, my first taste of academy football was at Southampton. And that's when I landed my first placement year. You know, and there's they had brilliant high profile examples of this, like James Will Prowse and Oxley Chamberlain, you know, and, and Theo Walcott and many of the players that played down. So straight away, my first experience of academy football was an academy that did this um kind of, you know, individualized on growth and maturation before it was kind of really popular. And you kind of thinking, right, okay, because you're you're a young student, you take that on board and you kind of run with it and, and that becomes your mantra as you go throughout your career. So um, when I was asking Sean about what do you think needs to be done for students coming into the game, you know, graduates of sports science or S&C degrees coming into the professional world of sports science and strength and conditioning, how can we, is there a way we can upskill them? And, you know, when he was talking about actually there's not that many unis doing it and speaking about it very well, that was another big takeaway where I'm thinking could be a problem there or it could be something that we could try and address um how we do that that's not up to me i'm not i'm not sure but um i think it relies on the practitioners at the end of the day um, and hungry practitioners who want to improve and try and develop their game and their knowledge and then what they can bring to the players they're working with um and heads of departments for academy performance you know head of academy sports science and medicine head of performance whatever it might be at a club being open enough if they're not already doing it to go let's give this a go and, and see if it helps our players develop and keep more players in the academy and hopefully you know get more academy players into the first team and have more academy graduates so um yeah lots a long way to go like sean said in terms of buy a bundle i think if you are one of our community members make sure you've been on the community recently because we've added presentations from matt konopinski jack dowling jack naylor steve thompson as well as webinars from coaches like Paudy Roche, Josh Fletcher, Dr. Paul Comfort, Yori Pagel. And we've also got content coming very soon from Sam Bowring, Harry Hurst, Ben Sutcliffe, Chris Skitt. So there's loads of content coming for our community members. We've also added a brand new webinar called Load Considerations for Academy Footballs. So very apt and on theme for these last couple of podcasts. That is by Premier League Academy physiotherapist and one of our community members, Aaron Hull, who's at AFC Bournemouth. Aaron talked about some common load activities for academy players. He also spoke about growth, maturation, risk, um, factors, screening, and also why load matters so much as well. So that webinar is now available to watch in full over on the community so if you're a member, log in and go to the video section. You'll be able to watch it there. If you're not already a member, what are you waiting for? Make sure you go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign yourself up there. It gives you a free 30-day trial. After your 30-day trial, you become a paid member. And once you're a paid member, you get invited into our members WhatsApp group where we have some great discussions every week about all sorts of different topics. So make sure you go and check it out. Footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign yourself up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Jordan Tyra. I'm intrigued to get your thoughts on this because the other bits of feedback that we got from coaches was um, coaches working in the women's game Mm. and how this could be massively beneficial for the women's game you just mentioned some of your well, one of your previous experiences at Southampton there but another one of yours was at Liverpool ladies um what from obviously it's been a little bit of time since you were at the club yeah but your experience with in the female game how do you think this would be accepted like is there any sort of change that you'd, you'd feel like needed to be made from what you would do at a club like Bournemouth or some of the other clubs that you've mentioned, or would it just be working the same way? Like, what's your thoughts on that? I think the biggest thing is the logistics of it. Um, And I don't think it's changed yet, but certainly when I was there and a Blackburn ladies before then, they were dual age bands. So rather than being nines, tens, elevens, twelves, it was tens, twelves, fourteens, sixteens. So if you now all of a sudden think about the, the impact of growth and maturation, 
you know, in chronological ages, you know, 11s, 12s, 13s, 14s, now double that and go 10s, 12s, 14s, 16s. You know, you're just increasing the range of of, of difference between between you know young girls in, in in the sport and um you know we know a lot of people you know cyber industry is very and um, very hot on this topic in terms of strength training for young girls because they're going through a lot of changes and they're they're getting put under full forces and into competitions when they might be playing you know biologically you know, age age groups above them, you know, if it is that dual age band. So there's a logistical change I think that could be useful. The the the, the problem with it might be that the uptake and enough clubs around the country might not quite have enough players to form regular games programs, you know, regular squad sizes for each of the age groups. I, I like to think we're getting bigger now and, and the uptake is much more there. I mean you see there are more um women's teams associated with the men's team you know they are directly part and parcel of it than ever before you know that's changed in just the space like since i've left the women's game and when we did our uh, network meeting up at, at manchester institute performance as well and we had brilliant presenters there uh, you know some of the work going on with the fa um in terms of tracking all of the academy players in wsl and women's championship uh, in terms of all their data and you know performance data from gps etc that's huge you know that is huge huge and you think about if you put that into football into the men's game sorry context you know that is literally like the fa tracking every single premier league academy and championship academy maybe even league one academy and all the players and all their you know data and then you could just pick you know from from that and that would be massive but obviously in the men's game fa like sean said on the podcast fa is different to the premier league you know which is and the clubs are their own their own right so um the logistics of the women's game are still slightly different in terms of the academy setup um but i remember i was <laughs> trying to track it now on reflection you look back back then we're talking seven six seven years ago i wasn't using as accurate measurements as, or, or um, ways of recording it as we were now um, as people would be now in terms of the equations were the maturity offset method and it wasn't percentage of height and things like that um so the science has moved on, um, but if there's any, like like Sean said, if there's any cohort of players that need growth maturation, it certainly is women's game because of that dual age band thing. And if I'm wrong on that, apologies. If people are in the women's you know academy setup and they go, no, we've we've gone from dual, <laughs> dual academy, we're back to to single age groups now. Then, then brilliant. Please tell me otherwise. But um, that was certainly something I found because certainly in the under 14s age group, you could literally have, you know, such weight variance. Um, the weight was the big one. You know, you could have somebody who was real, real early maturer. They could be, they could have 30, 40 kilos on, you know, somebody in the same squad training against them every, every, every day, every week kind of thing. So that's a problem, you know, as we know in any walk of life. So then you've got lack of training, lack of strength um, through the, through the growth button stuff to add on top of that. And it, it it's a bit of a recipe for disaster. So, and um, hopefully that get, gets addressed the sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think logistics and, I mean, even down to facilities and stuff, I know it's, again, it's something that size brought up a lot, isn't it? That's that's a massive issue that's going to have a knock-on effect to a lot yeah. of different aspects of a programme. But I think you're right. Like, that's, if you start thinking about different training nights and the fact they can't even get a, a pitch anyway or getting kicked mm -hmm. off pitches, it, that sh just shouldn't be happening. Um, yeah. So that needs to be addressed first, doesn't it? And I'm sure there's not there's clubs that aren't in that position, which is good, and everyone should be the same. Um, but the clubs that are facing that, it's going to be a massive battle, isn't it, to try and put something like that in place on top yeah. of all those sort of issues that they're facing. Yeah, I mean, even at the time I was, I was at Liverpool, I saw a big change. We were training at a local college um, from the under 16s down to the under 10s um, that had a, a college gym. Now it was it was not a performance gym. It had you know more cardio equipment than anything else. It was you know difficult to try and get any sort of proper structured resistance training done in in there. But you had to kind of come up with ways of doing it, which is you know, really good for practitioners and a good development tool for for us. But selfishly, that's 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 not what we want. We want the players to get the best development possible. And then even while I was there, the the academy girls then moved across to to Kirby and the, the boys academy you know and, and the difference literally overnight you know we were training on the indoor at, at the academy with a gym next door to it 
literally in the, in the same indoor building and it's and you could just see straight away like here we go now now we're talking now we can get some real work done so that yeah that facilities thing is still a big issue it really is um and, and because it's probably a case of you know clubs for the for the younger age group have just got to try and book a 3g anywhere in the rough local area you know they're not considering oh, actually we could do with a gym on site or we could do with you know some way of getting some sort of resistance work done into into the girls um whereas let's face it cat one cat two boys academies and cat three um typically they'll, they'll have access to all of that on a training night so there's, there's still a long way to go it's come a long way but there's still a long way to go yeah i think it's all going to be um boosted by the foundations of the women's game isn't it right through from grassroots right the way through yeah. to the the top that all needs the support and whether that's financially whether that's facilities um for this sort of work to take effect and also that will then show at first team level as well at the games like you've mentioned the games come on so much in the last few yeah. seasons that the next progression needs the support doesn't it from the ground up yeah yeah definitely um i mean you look at you look at the wsl you know just kicked off this weekend you know you've got teams playing in the stadiums properly and it's it's been coming in the last couple of seasons you know, but it seems to be every few weeks now. Whereas before, it was it was it was quite rare that you know it was the women's first team playing in the actual club stadium. Yeah. Um, now it now it is quite regular. You know, you had Arsenal playing at the Emirates against Liverpool ladies, and Liverpool pulled off a, a shock was a one 0 win. Um, and you look at the, you watch the game, you watch the the highlights and stuff, and and the stadium's pretty full. You know, and you're going, wow. You know, I I, I don't think that would have happened. You know, certainly when I was still in, in the women's game and you go back certainly 10 years, and it, that wouldn't happen. So it's growing, it's growing and it's continually growing, which is amazing. And it just needs more people to adopt it. And that's why I always say working in the women's game is so exciting. Certainly right now, it, it must be amazing because because of these, these growing aspects of it. Um, and like I touched on earlier, actually, when you try and implement something new, I always found it was it was so easy to do. You know, so oh, I want to try something something new um, or might want to try and tweak some of our, our tests that we do, even something like that. Or can I add something into the warm-up? You know, whereas quite often in, in, in men's game, that, that might come with a bit of resistance if you try and tell it to a coach. You know, no, why are you doing yeah. that? No, we always do this before we, or, or whatever it might be. But in the women's game, I always found it was actually quite a really nice environment to work in because it was like, yeah, if you think it's going to work, if you think it's going to benefit the players, just explain your rationale. Yeah, sounds good. Cool, let's go for it. You know, and you're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. So... Now, with the game growing like it is, um, I would recommend practitioners, you know, you know, go there. I know, I know people that have, you know, Jacob Stain's gone from Exeter um, down here, and we were always playing each other and bumping into him. I know, I know him for a long time, and he's he's now with the Man City first team as a physical performance coach with them. So, you know, and he's done really well from all the looks of it. So, you know, it, it's happening more and more, uh, and hopefully, long may that continue. Yeah, definitely, that's a great message. There's, there's a a number of practitioners as well, Paul. He's obviously gone over to yeah, the, the, the women's team of Arsenal. So the more quality coaches um, that get involved in those programmes, the better. So 100%. We, we are a few days away now from the Training Ground Guru Conference, which we're both going to be at. Um, I'm very fortunate enough to have been asked to host a discussion with Tony Strugwick, Tom Little and Dave Carolan. And we're going to be talking about developing the football athlete of the future. So we're going to get our crystal balls out and work out what's going to be going on in the next few years. Well, I thought it'd just be a nice way to wrap the, the podcast up, really, and just open this bit of a topic up for, for your thoughts. We've talked a lot on the podcast, and I was thinking about this this morning as well. Um, there's obviously the episode we did with Damien Harper and, and Gareth uh, Sanford, where we were talking about the, the demands on the players, the increase in D cells. Um, there's a lot of talk about how the game has come on the last few years. To then look ahead, I was actually speaking to Dave about this the other day on a call, not on a podcast or anything, and it's, it becomes a bit of a crystal ball because you don't really know what we're preparing for. But as always, as practitioners, you've got to be very adaptable. You've got to be prepared for the unknown really but I think the fact is how physical the game's got and the we've said developing the football athlete 
these are serious athletes now, both on the men's and the female side. It's only going to get, it's only going to keep increasing, in my opinion. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, 100%. And we we asked this at the R4P um, network meeting, didn't we? Because um, one of the networking tasks was how have the rule changes in terms of, you know, the added added time um, and being more strict on time wasting. How, how's that changed things? You know, so something like that could c- crop along, you know, yeah. and all of a sudden a significant rule change might all of a sudden add 10 minutes onto the NDV game. You know, and we, when we were speaking earlier about, you know, and people might say, oh, back in my day, it wasn't like this and this, that, the other. But back in your day, you probably didn't have 14 minutes of added time at the end of the game. <laughs> you had three or two, you know, and, you know, that is that is significant. You know, you look at this is what's beautiful about you know, the data that's involved, GPS numbers, all, all that sort of stuff now. Because you can literally look down to most intense minutes. You can look down to, you know, the performance drop off in certain you know five minute intervals and all that stuff and we know the end of games the end of halves you know significant performance drop offs happen because fatigue and things kick in um so if you're now suddenly you know we've gone from forever trying to train a 90 plus three plus four athlete in a minute athlete to now all of a sudden 90 plus 14 15 that's that's a significant knock-on so you know you've got things like that that might just crop up um yeah. we, we've we've also got we've got a look at VAR and I was a Liverpool fan I don't really like VAR at the minute um but <laughs> the significant right, don't don't <laughs> use that um but you know you you've got you've got things like that that actually there's going to be significant breaks and things in in games that there weren't really before um you know and, and all this sort of thing going on so we just don't know sometimes which is which is what it is uh, but I think I like to think that, you know, certainly in academies, um, the, the mindset of we're trying to over, almost over-prepare players to make the, you know, the, 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 we always talk about the jump as you go up the age group, you know, up from 18 to 21, 21 to 13. You, you, you've got to have that mindset of you've got to be ready to step up. If you're like, oh, they're doing well for an 18, that's great, but they've, they've actually got to train, you know, and, and prepare to be an under 21 or an under 23 or a first-team player, etc. So, um, you almost got to try and have that mindset, I think, to try and train for the future. And and the other thing that people always seem to forget is that um, systems change. You know, back in you know, 15, 20 years ago, four four two standard, yeah. And then you know, it, it just more it, it all comes around in cycles and how the the the, the game is played changes around the world. You know, Pep yeah. unfortunately has changed. You know how Premier League teams are trying to play. Um, you know, and even Jurgen Klopp in his time at Liverpool has changed how Liverpool, you know, changed. It used to be heavy, you know, heavy metal pressing, all that sort of stuff, um, and that's changed again. So, if that if that's going on in clubs, and we know clubs are hiring and firing managers all the time, if if you've got a manager that comes in and says, right, throughout the academy, I want you to play this system this way, press in this way, into out, all that sort of detail, and then six months later, that gaffer's gone and a new gaffer comes in and they change something else. You're never getting a clear message for for the players and the, the direction of academies. So you you know you're just constantly weaving from one to the other. So how do you prepare athletes that way? Um, so it is a minefield. It is a minefield. It is difficult. Um, but I think methods and techniques and things like biobanding and being hot on you know being patient with players if they need a bit of extra development time um, and looking at the bigger picture that will help. Um, because you might have somebody like we said last week on the podcast, you might have somebody who isn't technically right now, might be ready, you know, might be good enough to handle the jump up, but physically might not be, even mentally might not be able to handle that jump up. So we've got to be patient. But unfortunately, clubs struggle with patience, in my opinion. They they do because there's pressure on people's jobs at the end of the day. You know, if people aren't, if the academy isn't getting enough graduates through, people start to question the academy, you know, and that's what happens. But you might have might be unlucky you might have a crop of either either not that talented athletes you might have you know, teams drop out leagues and lose funding and then have to come back up so then they might lose a, a good crop of players to rival clubs and then it, it, there's all these factors that come into it so yeah it's it's very hard to predict very very hard indeed but i think the one given is that the physicality levels are always going to increase because our knowledge as scientists is getting you know deeper you know i go back 50 you know, i think back to when i first started at uni i never heard of a nordic you know yeah. but now yeah but now every club is it has some form of of nordic you know principle 
for the you know strengthening the hammies in, in there. So you know the 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 training modalities are training. So we're only increasing the athleticism of the athletes, and that is exactly what they are. Um, but my, my biggest advice to any young practitioners just come into academies is just always remember the, the, the ideal footballer is an outstanding or rounded athlete who's also a very good footballer. Um, yeah. And I, I, for me, if that ne- if that mindset never changes, you will be at least able to adapt to what changes in football. Um, that's just my view. Anyway, that's just a little ramble for you there. But no, I think I think they're great points. I think the rule changes is something that, that it's going to happen, isn't it? We're going to get something over yeah. the next few years, whether we agree or disagree with it, we'll probably disagree. Um, but I mean, when I was thinking about it this morning, I was like, so if it, if the intensity of the game just keeps going up and up and up, and we just keep getting this this rise that we have the last few years, how does that impact players? We can get players to a certain fitness level. Does that mean, because you mentioned there about the changes from a few years ago, I actually saw a team sheet again on on X, um, The I think it might have been yesterday from a few years, a few years ago, and it was three substitutes. Now yeah, you're talking seven. Yeah. So yeah. straight away, that's a big change, isn't it? You've got a squad size increase. So does it mean at some point that we can use more players within the game? So players will maybe play less minutes. Yeah. You'll have more of a rotation of mm. more players being involved, which means the the intensity could potentially stay higher for longer. Um, James Redden recently on the podcast kept referring to games as like basketball games because it was just end-to-end. Yeah. Are we just going to try and create something like that in a lot of games, which involves just using different players and keeping players fresh? These are yeah. the sort of conversations, aren't they? These are the things we don't know, but these are the, these are the things that could potentially happen with that increase. Mm. Yeah, and I think as well that even with that, there's challenges because what will happen is they go, "All right, more fixtures." You know, the, the, who knows? They'll probably try and invent another tournament soon that yeah. every team has to be part of. Yeah. Um, uh, that because that seems to come up, they'll try and squeeze more fixtures in. Um, I, th- I think for me, the, the really frustrating thing is that games just seem to be really random now. They just seem to be spreading out more. Like it used mm. to be, again, you go back, it used to be Saturday, used to be Premier League day. They might have been a Super Sunday. Occasionally they'd have a Monday. They'd never have a Thursday night Premier League game, very rarely. But now it just seems to be, you actually forget, I, mean, I haven't done fantasy Premier League for a while, but I'd never be able to keep on top of it nowadays because you just constantly, oh no, like, you know, there's a tea, there's a game tonight I completely forgot about. So if there's fixtures everywhere and then you add in all the cup competitions, so they're going, oh, it's fine. We're going to, you know, the, the Premier League, the, the, the EFL, et cetera, are going to say, oh, it's fine. You're allowed five substitutes. Now seven substitutes, that's great. But if you've not got the squad depth, that doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, yeah. and if and at the end of the day, yeah, you might be allowed seven substitutes, but I don't know about you, if I'm the gaffer and my job's on the line, I'm probably going to try and play my best players as much as possible. So I could roll on, you know, basically, you know, keep rolling on these subs. But if he's the game, if, he, if he's my game winner, if she's my game winner, I'm trying to keep them on the pitch as much as possible. So... You know, there's always kind of ways which is it's going to fall down a little bit. So, yeah, if it does keep developing the physicality time, and then they keep squeezing these fixture congestions, and I know everyone loves to to hate on Jurgen Klopp for moaning about things and fixture congestion, but he's he's right. He's got a point um, that you know teams are traveling further afield now for more European Cup competitions. We've got an extra, you know, the Europe Europe Conference League as well. You know, yeah. so teams are traveling further afield that never would have done. Um, and we know about the impact of travel. You know, we look at the VAR controversy and the, you know, the officials were in UAE 48 hours before they're then doing a Premier League game. So if it's happening to officials, now imagine the you know the athletes who've got to run around and try and perform at the best of their ability. So it it's, it needs to come, it just needs sensible thinking, I think. And unfortunately, uh, it comes down to one thing, I think, and it's money and it's TV rights and it's sponsorship deals and it's, you know, more competitions equals more money and things like that. And UEFA get involved with the, you know, the Europa, Europa competitions and stuff like that. So that's what it's going to boil down to. And we're just going to get to a point where um, players are breaking down because of fixture congestion. Teams are suffering because their best players are getting injured because they're having to fulfil these these fixtures um, all throughout the leagues. And and there just needs to come a point where we go, this is too much now. Um we, we, the human body can only go so far as, as good as it's getting every year and we, we're developing the science we're developing our strength and conditioning habits and behaviours but at the end of the day there is going to be a, a ceiling at some point and hopefully we don't hit that soon but it could happen you never know I don't want to stamp all over especially what I know Dave's going to mention in at the, at the conference but one thing he brought up the other day when we were on the 
on the phone was actually the type of player that we're trying to, or we have been trying to prepare. Um, and especially in terms of like talent ID, uh, scouting, mm. how many scouts have been out there trying to find a, a Bernardo Silva or these little technical players mm. that are flooded throughout the Premier League now that yeah. are winning World Cups. And have we have we been trying to prepare like those type of players or have we been going in a different direction? Because I'd argue a lot of people have probably been going in a, in a different direction. We might take the 1% like a Ronaldo, um, yeah. but he's he is literally a, a 1%. He's an outlier. Um, but you look at the types of players now that are everywhere that are dominating games, it's probably quite different to what we actually had in mind, especially a few years ago. So I think that's another really interesting thing, isn't yeah. it, on, on the sort of players that are going to be involved. Say in 10 years' time, what is the actual team going to look like um, yeah. in terms of the physical build and how that then impacts the work we do in the gym, the support we give physically. Um, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's an interesting one. Yeah, definitely. And it, it, that goes right down to the academies. You know, the, 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 the scouts all over academy football, you know, you, you go to another 14 game and you've got, you know, a bunch of scouts that stood on the corner watching all the, all the players. So again, that could have a knock, knock on impact. If you've got a big recruitment drive that you've got an academy manager, you know, saying we want this type of player. Um, this is our, you know, academy player. This is the build that, you know, we want pace and power, that sort of thing. And then in four years time, Actually, we want really technical players, but you've just spent four years recruiting an entire academy worth of pace and power, and you've got no technical players. So, you know, it, it is it's it's a difficult it's a difficult one to bridge. And if you think, oh, um, you know, it, it doesn't really happen in academies like that, it does. I can tell you that. I can be, I've been at clubs where it says we don't want that sort of player, you know, and and it does it does impact it. And then the long the long term knock on effect is you will get to probably an age group in the professional development phase. Well, they try and step up, and, and they just won't make won't make you know, won't make the grade, um, either technically or physically or whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, the recruitment side of things is nuts. When you see what clubs are you know doing in terms of data now and, and where they're sending their scouts to try and find players, it's it is a bit mental. And when you think of how large an umbrella this industry has, um, and and where it covers and how far afield it goes. You've had a little insight there into the weekly conversations between Jordan and I. So I hope you've enjoyed that because uh, yeah. that that sort of hour there has flown by, and we might do a few more of these with just the two of us. So let us know what you think of it. And hopefully, we've covered some topics that have got you thinking about a few different things. Nice reflection on Sean's um, episode from last week as well. And like I said last week, Jordan will be joining me on a few podcasts coming up with a few guests over the next few weeks as well. So um, Jordan, just give your info mate if anyone wants got any questions especially for the physical performance hub like where where are people going to go to keep up with that yeah twitter twitter and instagram are x and instagram are the easy ones um so again <laughs> can just just stick, so yeah can we just stick to twitter yeah it's easy isn't it um but yeah I, i'm so me myself i'm jordan tyra 92 on twitter and then i've got the physical performance hub and the physical performance coach. If you just type those in, you'll, you'll find me basically in a similar, very similar on, on Instagram. So um, I'll, I'll try to keep it quite um, concise, really, and quite easy to do. No numbers and things involved. So, yeah. Brilliant. And if anyone's at the Training Ground Guru Conference next week, um, 9th and 10th, I think it is, of yep. Yep. October, come and say hi, because we yep. will be there, um, especially on the Tuesday. And yeah. Thanks for coming on, Jordan. No, no worries. I will see you very soon. <laughs> now, we actually ran this episode as a little bit of a trial this week because we did have a few podcasts booked in. And for one reason or another, we just managed to have a week where we didn't have a guest. So I asked Jordan, I said, do you fancy having a chat on the podcast? And he said, yeah, we thought it'd be a really good chance to reflect on the last episode with Sean where we had some brilliant feedback and also just talk about a few different things. We, we speak every week on the phone through the work that we're doing through Football Fitness Federation and we always end up going off on tangents and I just thought it'd be a nice test to see if people actually want to hear what we're talking about. So this was a little insight into how our conversations normally go. So I hope you enjoyed it. Let us know because what we were saying after we finished recording the podcast is we both actually really enjoyed that. Um, and it was quite nice to cover a few different topics, not have too much of a plan. 
And if you did enjoy it, let us know because we might add a few little bonus episodes where it's just Jordan and I and we'll, we'll talk through a few topics and do a few reflections of some of the episodes that we've previously done as well. So reach out, let us know. Please give it a share as always. I think we covered some really important topics around the women's game and biobanding. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts around that as well. And um, tag anyone that you think would be would benefit from the episode. Make sure you go and check out episode 258 as well, the one before this one, because we're getting some great feedback on that one. I know it's helped a lot of people. And also go and give Jordan a follow. He's over on Twitter at JordanTyra92. And follow the physical performance coach and also the physical perform performance hub that is going to be opening very soon. That is Fizz Perform Hub on Twitter. Go and give them a follow. I know they're going to be doing some great stuff down there. So go and show some support to Jordan. And also our sponsors. Go and give Good Prep, Hydro, and also Rezzle a follow on social media. They massively help the podcast and support us every week and allow us to bring the podcast straight into your ears. So I really would appreciate you going and giving them a follow and showing them some love. And a massive thank you again. And I'll speak to you again next week in episode 260.